Welcome to the Data Protection and Privacy Podcast, hosted by David Clark. Thank you for joining us. David is the founder of one of the largest LinkedIn data protection groups, which now has over 21,000 members, and David has over 102,000 followers on Twitter. This podcast is about data protection and privacy technology where David chats to leading-edge technology companies and thought leaders to discover whether technology can make our data protection work easier. Please subscribe and follow David on Twitter at OneDavidClark. Great. Hi, my name is David Clark. Welcome to the Data Privacy Protection Podcast. And today I have Alexander Garcia-Tobar, CEO of ValleyMail. Alexander, would you like to introduce yourself and what your company does? And then I can ask you some questions. Terrible. And first, thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. I'm excited to have a conversation with you. Uh, my name is Alexander Garcia-Tobar, as you mentioned. Um, I started a company, I'm a serial entrepreneur, and I started a company very recently uh, by the name of Valimail, meant to be Valid Email, uh, which um, focuses on being able to authenticate and to keep only those parties, whether it's a company, a service, or a person, able to send email as you. Um, and so what this really addresses is the spoofing and the fake emails that we're seeing. Um, and as we're going to get into later today, uh, we have seen a massive spike due to AI and other technologies where you're seeing fake emails or fake messages being sent as a trusted party, as someone that you trust, um, whether it's a government or a private company or a individual that you trust. Uh, prior to this, I've been a serial entrepreneur. I worked at the Boston Consulting Group when I first got out. It's a strategic management consulting group in Boston. And I also worked at Forrester Research, another analyst firm. I then moved into the world of high tech, and that took me from Boston to San Francisco and have been fortunate enough to see several exits, as they're known in Silicon Valley, IPOs or acquisitions, and a couple of failures. And now I'm very excited about the current company that I'm working on. We've been around since 2015, and we're fortunate enough to be a, the leader from a market share and technology perspective. And so it's given me a real appreciation for the amount of disinformation and misinformation that we're seeing globally. That's interesting. Everyone's talking about the rise of AI and its uh, future impact on society. You're saying AI is already impacting us today? How? It is. I know there's a lot of worry about the coming impact of AI, but uh, my message to people is it's already here, some of it and uh, some of the more insidious parts of it, unfortunately. Just a quick background. What our company does is it does something known as email authentication. And so the authentication is the key word here. Our clients and customers know who's allowed to send as them over email, whether it's your HR billing service or whether it's a marketing message or it's your own employees. We're the opposite of AI, where AI is a very intelligent uh, guessing game, where a machine tries to create connections and shows you connections between different things, and it guesses as to what the right answer is. Authentication's the uh, opposite. You know the answer. The whole idea is to be able to apply this in a very yes or no binary way. And the reason that this is so important is 
that in a world where a 15-year-old can turn around and create dozens of articles that look and smell and feel like a true New York Times or Fox News or a government edict, et cetera, there's really no way to distinguish. Even professionals have a hard way, a hard time distinguishing between what is real and what's not real. And my argument and what we've seen in our business is that you need to authenticate the source. You need to know who actually sent it out. Because if you don't know who sent it out, then how do you know if that message, whether it's the Israeli-Hamas war messages or messages yeah. on the UK, Ukraine war or anything else, how do you know it's real? And you don't. And so what AI has been done made it extremely easy for uh, people to create very realistic disinformation and misinformation. And we are seeing that today. Yeah, and, and as you were, we were talking earlier, you were saying it, it's so easy for a young person to create a huge volume of misinformation really fast, and then it becomes credible. That's right. I think I was describing to you, I actually had the AI, what one of the AI systems create a dozen articles in the language of Scientific America, a very prominent scientific journal with yeah, yeah. Uh, citations, et cetera, to uh, prove that COVID vaccines cause your nose to turn blue. And it did an admirable job. This article, I would have said, this really looks like a typical Scientific America article. So in that kind of world where anyone with a keyboard of almost any age can create these dozens and dozens of articles, how do you know what's real anymore? And this is really tearing at the fabric of society and creating these information bubbles that people live in, where whether it's done as jest or whether it's done maliciously, people have different facts in front of them. And it's very hard to distinguish what's real. Wow, incredible. Because you're also talking about that fake news about a military secret weapon. That's right. I live on the big island of Hawaii. And as may, maybe some of your listeners know, we had a very bad fire on a neighboring island in Maui. Yeah, true. a whole town, Lahaina. And during this time, I can't tell you how I know this, but I know that state actors pretty much sent chat GPT slash AI bots to, they put them to work to create many hundreds of articles in the voice of local Hawaiians, of government officials well, to say that was a secret military weapon that had actually started the fires. And more insidious is that they created sites that then gave thumbs up and reinforced the information on the other fake sites that they had created so that our systems our reputation systems and other systems picked up and said this is an often cited story so it must be true the one thing that was not done to any of these stories is to validate the source of the story yeah, of course, and so of course. It was yeah. not Hawaiians that had created it. It was governments very far away, and it was done to sow discontent and to sow confusion among the U.S. population. And so that really struck mm. the heart of of a very tragic event here. That and, could have worried 
people even more than they were already worried. Oh, absolutely. And it was pretty much, it was pretty much promoted by then real people who saw the many citations and it's- And then promoted it and it became more credible because- And became more credible. Exactly. And it wove its way into society. And even today, this has happened about three months ago or so. Even today, there are people that are quoting these- these revelations, so to speak, and it turns out that it was all just fake. Incredible. And I suppose this is some of the results, isn't it? You can get from AI generated disinformation, misinformation, sleight of hand, whatever you describe it as. That's right. Like all technology, it can be used for many different purposes. There are some pretty amazing things that I've seen create. I had AI create a Chaucer, eat your peas. <laughs> poem or or a niece of mine who did not want to eat her peas and (laughs) it was a wonderful experience and that's a silly example but there are a lot of good things that can come out of ai a lot of very interesting connections can be made uh, but it certainly can be used uh, for disinformation and misinformation as well i guess most importantly did your niece eat her peas she did not understand (laughs) the chaucer reference but (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's a pity. Uh, I was hoping there'd be a good outcome. <laughs> I um, enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think can be done? What is being done? Sure. This is my thesis, but I believe it follows most of human society and, and history here. I think the first thing we need to do is we need to establish the source of the actual information, uh, whether it's a news article, an email, or anything in between. And by actually pinning this to a specific source, people can start making decisions. You may believe one news source over the other, right? For some of your English listeners, it could be the BBC, or it could be Fox, or it could be a whole, yeah. bu- a whole range of different sources. At least you know who created it and what maybe some motivations are behind it. So that's the first step is to authenticate the source of whatever it is that you're listening to, reading, etc. The second piece is that based on that source, uh, you can start creating a reputation. If you know who wrote it or you know what entity wrote it, you can at least start attaching some form of reputation to it. And based on uh, the reputation and the source, you can now start trying to at least figure out whether or not you believe it, but you think it's trustworthy, et cetera. The very first is authenticate. The second is create a reputation. And the third is to try to cross-reference, of course. Um, If you read a story about an earthquake that takes place in Libya, for instance, and it's quoted by many trusted sources, it's probably true. If you read a story about Chaucer coming back from death and writing a P story from one source, probably not trustworthy. Sure. Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, let's switch from news to email. I think an area tiny little bit about maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Much to my chagrin or perhaps (laughs) geekiness. I have been focused on the email space for quite a while. And one of the reasons email has become a utility. And utilities have a couple of things about them. One is that they tend to be invisible and most people tend to yawn when they hear about electricity or water or sewage or any other type of utility. Uh, Yet, if electricity goes out, it is greatly missed. 
And so email happens to be one of these utilities, like water, like electricity, where it's not really thought about that much, yet people interact with it all day long. In fact, we've got billions of people every single day open their emails. And email has actually become something that goes beyond just a marketing message. But if you think about the last time you signed up for a service, uh, it's always give us your email and. And it's because it's a primary communications method for uh, both companies and other people to communicate with each other. And it has only expanded. If you reset your password, you get a receipt, you get a transaction. Yeah, magic uh, link, yeah, whatever. All of this is done through email. So that just emphasizes the need to be able to trust this email because you can imagine the things that can happen if email all of a sudden is not trustworthy. And unfortunately, it is very easy to create fake emails. One thing someone doesn't know, David, that most people don't know is that anyone can write an email as anyone else. There's nothing stopping you from doing that in the email system. The only thing that matters. Yeah, you can write an email. That's crazy. Um, yeah. I heard Cameron just come back. You could write an email as him, email as the White House, unless a new standard, which is known as DMARC, which is email. Yeah, DMARC, yeah. Is turned on. That's the only way you protect yourself from someone spoofing your email or pretending to be you. So I've dedicated the last five to seven years on making sure that criminals and bad actors cannot pretend to be someone they're not and send out uh, this form of communications because uh, I believe it's uh, both a, a good business idea, but beyond that, I more importantly, I think it's something that society needs. I think we need to be able to trust the second or first most popular communications platform on the planet. Absolutely. And I think there was a stat you were telling me about 89% of all emails start with a fake sender. That's correct. We tend to normal figure. It's insane. So we tend to think of the email attacks as, oh, this was a business email compromise attack, or it was a W two attack. This is tax forms uh, where during tax season in the U.S. you get a lot of fake emails around that. You could say no, it's a fake invoice. What really binds all of this together is the sender is not who or what you think it is. And of course it makes sense. What criminal is going to say, Hey, I'm a criminal, please do X, Y, and Z in this email. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I have to say probably of the incidents that I see, probably most start from a, a very convincing email to start with. Correct. Also, so yeah. beyond the 89% of all phishing attacks start with a fake sender over 90% of all cyber attacks start with a fish. You now have 89% of 90% of all the cybersecurity <laughs> attacks, uh, which is, it's just an astounding fact. And the fact that it's still possible for people to fake emails, even though there is a standard out there, is still a, something that we need to work on as society. It should be mandatory of some sort, shouldn't they, really? It, mm. And it, it's becoming yeah. that. It's definitely becoming a compliance piece. So the U.S. government, and it's called 1801. It, the BOD 1801 Binding Operative Directive uh, back in 2018 insisted that all government agencies had to have this email authentication turned on. And uh, they leapt ahead of commercial authentications, which is quite fascinating. It's frankly one of the rare instances where that happened. 
and now in England, you have something similar. Holland has come up with something similar. And we're starting to see legislators say, we just can't go on this way. We can't function as a society unless we at least have the bare minimum of saying that you as a owner of a domain should turn on email authentication so you can prevent people from faking emails as you. I I suppose the thing that I also see a lot of is people clone other people's domains. So they look very similar and sometimes you're never quite sure which one's the real one, put a hyphen in the name, that type of thing. That's correct. And there are authentication schemes now putting, being put into place to try to uh, avoid uh, the cousin domain issue as they call it in the U S. Oh, really? Yeah. The lookalike or cousin domains are called where you wow, that's yeah, it's something that where one letter is off instead of Uber, the E is really a three, yeah. which sounds pretty obvious, but a lot of people will miss that. You may misread it. It's so easy. You right. see a hundred emails a minute, Be easy misread something. That's absolutely. That's interesting. So email authentication, the vision, the reality. So I think that the the vision is that only you or your authorized uh, third party should be able to send email as you. We've seen up to 4 million domains now have email authentication turned on, which is really interesting. But a couple more sobering stats are that there are 110 million emailing domains out there. So it's a very long tail. So we have a long way to go. We're 4% or so. The other piece of it is that getting it right is very hard. And the reason is that most companies vastly underestimate the number of services that sends them and don't know how to turn on this very complicated protocol. And so what we've seen is even though we've seen a rise from zero to four million domains, it turns out only 9% of them are configured correctly. And we see something called DNS. You can do a scan of DNS. And you can actually see these statistics. You can see that we published several reports, which if people are interested, they're welcome to to read. But the sobering part of this is, yes, it's 4 million, but that's only 4%. And even the 4%, only 9% are fully implemented. So we have a long way to go. So that 9%, is that because the people who implemented it knew what they were doing? Or is there any special help needed to implement this type of technology? Sure. So it turns out that a vast majority of these implementations are do-it-yourself. People that are well-meaning saying it's an open standard, let me just go do this myself. And it turns out that it is very complicated to do it right. Email is a very confusing ecosystem. And even though there are standards, it's very hard to figure out exactly how someone like Marketo or Salesforce or anyone else is sending emails because they don't publish these statistics necessarily delve into the world of things called SPF and DKIM keys, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so yeah. It gets very complex very quickly. So I commend people starting the journey and it's just really hard to get it uh, done all the way. And so I would encourage people to uh, seek out experts in the field, vendors, uh, et cetera, to just help them complete that journey. Because once you're locked down, you can at least say, no one will be able to send emails as us. Um, Something, yeah. So can Valley Mail help people 
along that journey? That, that is our mission. What we've done is we've done several things. We are the chair of the DMARC standard globally. And so we've been pushing very hard to get its implementation. We want to tip our hats off to companies like Gmail, services like Gmail under Google slash Alphabet and Microsoft and others who have started to insist and really participate quite a bit in this email authentication. We think that's very important. They've started to make things such as no off, no entry, which means if you don't authenticate your emails, you won't get most of them through. Right. Makes sense. Yeah, that's yeah. very important. We think that'll catalyze a lot of the email authentication out there. And our company, so, so we try to push on the standards uh, for everyone. We have a free service that has over 33,000 companies using it. Uh, we don't charge anything. We don't force people to buy anything mm. from us. And over half of those companies have been able to get locked down. We're really proud of that fact. And then we have a paid service where we help people do this. And many of the largest companies on the planet, mid-sized companies and SMBs do use us. And we're, we're the market share leader in the space. And so we continue to push really hard. Uh, our mission, as you can tell, from 4% to 100% still is ahead of us. Uh, but we've been very fortunate to have um, a group of dedicated uh, people at our company and an ecosystem that's very supportive. That's amazing. So if, if small company, I don't know, up to two, 300 staff, yeah. How long would it take them to implement that, assuming they had the right skills or they could get the right skills in place? There's, it's hard to answer that without understanding, is this company based on sending emails to consumers? Cause that gets more complicated or is it sure. a AI company that creates code and doesn't really send email that much? But what I would say is use our or any other vendors free service to at least get the visibility to see the type of fraud that's going on. And, uh, once you have that, you can make a decision on whether you want to go all the way with the, um, application of the standard, uh, all the way to getting what we call enforcement, which blocks uh, unauthorized senders from sending as you, you only yeah. want to do that once you've identified all the legitimate uses for your email. And so the first part is get visibility You can go to our website, sign up, get free visibility. And then from there you can decide who should and should not get the ability to send as you. I would say at least get the visibility, take that first step. I think that's very true, true. And in fact, Gmail has a new rules coming in in February of this, of this next year that actually enforces the at least visibility portion of this. So we think we're going to see a rapid increase in people at least understanding the problem and taking that first step. We're getting near the end and I'm just wondering, have you got any top two, three tips that you would recommend companies start to do today if they can? Sure. Absolutely. So the first thing I would do is I would, uh, implement the visibility side of DMARC. So you can actually see what, um, the fraud is. You can see yeah. who is sending as you. Uh, Valmill offers a free service. As I mentioned earlier, there are other vendors that do as well. And once you have that, then start identifying the legitimate uses of your email domain. So which services and which groups are allowed to send as you, and then lock your systems down. For a company, as you were asking earlier, a company under 200, 300 people should be able to do this in about 45 days or so okay. of monitoring. So it's pretty, 
pretty fast and larger enterprises, global multinationals usually take uh, about six months or so to get there because they're vastly more complex. It's way more complex. Absolutely. Way more complex. No, that's amazing. And, and if any listeners want to get in touch with yourself or Valley Mail, what's the best way to do it? Um, I encourage them to reach out uh, to our website. It's uh, Valimail, V-A-L-I-M-A-I-L.com, validemail.com. And um, we've got lots and lots of articles. Uh, we have a very extensive list of uh, blog pieces, and we have a free service. And help yourself to uh, both the information as well as the service. And uh, start your journey uh, because in the world of communicating via email, which is still our number one way of reaching out to people, uh, we think it's important that uh, you take back control of this and don't let criminals uh, use your reputation to attack others. Yeah, I think the, the stats you, you brought up in the podcast are, are, are surreal. They're amazing. And so hopefully maybe we can have you again on the podcast and the percentage has gone up dramatically because without it, we're, we're not moving fast, are we? We're not moving fast enough. We have a monumental task ahead of us, but I don't see any option other than to plow forward. And it is uh, my personal mission to authenticate every single email out there. I, I do envision a world in where uh, you're back in control of people sending messages as you. And the interesting thing here, David, is if you protect your own domain, you're not only protecting yourself, but you're protecting anyone who would have potentially gotten fake email as you. As you. And yes, so it's very much like a vaccine, right? You protect yeah. yourself and you protect those around you. And so yeah. uh, we will get to herd immunity. We can get to about 80%. It's a tall order, <laughs> a long way to go. But at yeah. the very least, we can do our own part Amazing. for ourselves and for those around us. Amazing idea. Thank you so much, Alexander. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you, David. Thank you for your time as well. Cool. That's great. Thank, thanks so much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. This episode is brought to you by vcso.co. We help companies to meet privacy and cybersecurity requirements and standards so they close sales deals quicker and can achieve cyber certifications. Privacy alignment in minimum time. Valmail is the leading email authentication company. We welcome you to join us by coming to valamail.com and trying our free service to gain free visibility into who is sending email as you, both legitimate and criminal. With that information, you can decide whether to continue your journey and lock down your email domain to stop phishing attacks. If you have any questions, you can also write us an email at info at valamail.com. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe.